Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and super fans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week we are discussing I Shall Believe, the 14th episode of season one, which was written by Jennifer Cecile, directed by Greg Prange, and originally aired on February 17th, 2004, just a few days after Valentine's Day. That's... I mean, this is quite the romantic episode, I guess, for... I know, right? <laughs> Post-Valentine's Day. I I don't know. All right. <laughs> Before we get into this episode, though, I want to uh, start our new segment called Amplifying Amazingness. <laughs> what? I don't know. Like, I, I was literally just... I, I just started to say words, and then it just came out. Like, I... I don't know. I... This is the section where we amplify the women and the marginalized voices on One Tree Hill. All right, who are we amplifying today? (laughs) We'll come up with a better name, I promise. Anyway, today we are amplifying Jennifer Cecile. And but before I get into some of her credits, though, um, I noticed something that was kind of disheartening about One Tree Hill, and I mean, I'm not surprised by this at all. So prior to this episode. Um, Jennifer Cecile wrote the episodes for 103, 105, and 108. And then after this, she co-wrote episode 21 of season one. And I noticed that she did a lot of the heavy lifting as far as, like, you know, the women are concerned on this show. Because in addition to her, there are three other women in the writer's room for season one. And there are also, I mean, there are also three men in the writer's room for season one as well. So you could say, like, Jeremy, why are you pointing that out? It's equal. It's 50-50. Not the case. Because Jennifer Cecile wrote five episodes. Another woman, Anne Hamilton, wrote one. Jessica Queller, who we talked about two weeks ago, also wrote one. Karen Usher also wrote one. So that means there's only a total of eight episodes written by women in season one. The rest of them are all written by men, which is very disheartening for a show that's mostly dominated by female characters. Oh, wow. You really did some, like, digging here. It was just something I was thinking about because, you know, the the women on the show are always sexualized and whatnot. So I started to think, like, so what kind of representation is in the writer's room? And it's really not there, unfortunately. Something else, too. Jennifer Cecile, the only episode she's actually credited for on IMDb, I think were 103 and maybe one other one. So, like, there's a couple episodes she's not even credited for on her IMDb page, and I don't know, like, who's responsible for that? That's crazy. Yeah, like, you literally have to watch the episode or own the DVDs to know that Jennifer Cecile. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. To know that Jennifer Cecile wrote this episode. So I just wanted to like take some time to just like really call out Jennifer Cecile to be like, hey, good job. I think this is a pretty good episode of television. Yeah, that's that's crazy that like you said, the show really is dominated by these female characters. Mm-hmm. So to think that men are mainly developing them and their dialogue and their storylines. Huh. It makes you think. Yeah. Very gross to think about. Um But to talk a little bit more about her credits after One Tree Hill, she went on to write and produce the 90210 reboot, Brothers and Sisters, Private Practice. Oh! What, you watch Brothers and Sisters? Yes, and Private Practice. Oh, wow. She was also the showrunner for Private Practice. She was? Yeah. That's so weird. I'm actually rewatching Private Practice right now. (laughs) Oh, cool. (laughs) That's a weird coincidence. (laughs) 
I had no idea that she was the showrunner. Well, there you go. Now you can like you know think now you can thank Jennifer Cecile for all of her work. And um, most recently, she worked on a show called Notorious, which only lasted for one season, unfortunately. Now I went on her IMDb page and. She has an upcoming project coming up, and it literally just says, Untitled Jennifer Cecile, Carrie Goldberg, CBS Project. So I decided to like look a little bit more into that. The last details we got were from a September 2017 story from Variety. And there hasn't been any news since then, so I don't even know if this show is just is, is even going to get made. I don't know. I really hope it does get made, though, because it sounds like a very interesting concept. I'm going to read straight from the Variety story. I'll tell you about Carrie Goldberg first. Goldberg is the founder of law firm C.A. Goldberg, which specializes in assisting victims of internet abuse, revenge porn, sexual assaults, and domestic violence, among other things. Goldberg is also a board member and volunteer attorney at the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative and its End Revenge Porn campaign, and a founding advisory board member of the Tyler Clemente Foundation which seeks to end online and offline bullying, harassment, and humiliation, per her official bio. So that's who Carrie Goldberg is. Now, the show is actually going to be based on her. The Untitled Project would follow a young lawyer in Brooklyn who, after enduring vicious online and offline attacks herself, opens her own law firm to place herself and her team on the front lines of defending victims of crimes in the age of the internet where the law hasn't yet caught up with technology. Oh, wow. That is a really interesting concept. Yeah, like, it hasn't been done before, honestly. Like, could you imagine, like, a whole show dealed with, like, defending revenge porn cases, you know? Like, or victims of revenge porn, I should say. Yeah, I I haven't heard of a show like that before. Yeah, so I really hope it gets made. Like I said, this was from September 2017, so I would really like some type of representation like that on my TV screen, so. That's really cool. CBS, what are you doing? Is this show getting made? Tweet us. <laughs> <laughs> because they're li- they're listening to us. They're going to respond. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? That would be great. Maybe this will be our grassroots movement to try to get this show made. This untitled TV series. All right. Let's go. Let's get into this episode. Always and forever is spoiler free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is a place where everything's better and everything's safe. News about Lucas's accident reaches his friends. Thankfully, they soon learn his emergency surgery went well, but he now needs to wake up from a coma. Karen learns of two very surprising details about the accident. First... Dan helped save Lucas and got him into surgery by admitting that Lucas is his son. At the end of the episode, Karen shockingly hugs Dan and thanks him for what he did. And the other not-so-fun surprise is that Keith was drinking before the accident. Karen becomes very upset by Keith's carelessness and actually asks him to leave the hospital. And to add to that sadness, we see Keith looking at an engagement ring he was planning to give to Karen, which I have a lot of feelings about because shouldn't you try to see if you work as a couple before you try to propose marriage? I just don't get it because seriously, Caitlin, you get what I mean? Like, this is just like... It doesn't make a lot of sense, Jeremy, but please stay on the script. Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, Haley is reluctant to go to the hospital to see Lucas because she feels guilty about their argument before the accident. Haley is also reeling from the fact that Nathan admitted the only reason he originally sought out tutoring from her was because he was trying to rile Lucas. 
for Haley's sake, Nathan gets up the courage and goes to visit Lucas in the hospital. He says to Lucas that the accident may be a good thing in a way, because Lucas will be able to get a break from basketball and the constant pressure. During this heartfelt moment, Lucas wakes up. And Nathan tells Haley that though he shouldn't have done what he did, he has no regrets because Haley made him into the person he is today and takes her to the hospital to visit her best friends. In a chocolate sugar coma, I'm Caitlin Illinich. And having my stupid quote shit kind of going up sky high when I'm flipped out and meeting my boyfriend's mother in the hospital with all this going on, I'm Jeremy Rodriguez. Alright, so this episode is titled after the song I Shall Believe by Cheryl Crow. Which I have to say, I absolutely love this song for many reasons that some we will get into now and some we will get into in the spoiler segment. But what did you think, Jeremy? Well, yeah, I agree. This is a really great song. Also, is this the first song that actually appears in the episode where it's with the episode title? Did that make sense how I said it? Yeah, I believe it is, actually. Yeah. Is this the only episode that where the song that the title is based off of is actually featured in the episode itself? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I know there's one other episode where this happens, but this is the first one, I think, that it actually does happen that way. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. There's gotta be some. Yeah. Interesting. The first stance have really stuck out to me. The lyrics are, come to me now and lay your hands over me. Even if it's a lie, say it will be all right and I shall believe. And that stands have really resonated with me because I feel like this entire episode is about how like everything sucks right now. I mean, Peyton's dealing with this whole thing about dealing with her feelings for Lucas while also like realizing that Brooke is her best friend's. And then Karen is trying to also be there for her son, but she's dealing with all these like feelings for Keith and, you know, not really kind of being angry for him and everything like that. So I feel like this whole thing is just about saying like, everything sucks right now, but you still need like love and support from like your, from your family and friends. Even Nathan and Haley's whole situation, like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Nathan is the one who comes through to her at the ends. Yeah. Like she was, like he was the one that, she really needed to hear from in order to like really um move forward and talk to Lucas at the hospital. Yeah, because Haley was dealing with the fact, like what she learned, which we'll get into in a little bit, what she learned from Nathan. And then she's also dealing with that guilt that she feels for her argument with Lucas. That was right before the accident. Mm-hmm. So she has like kind of two things going on. And yeah, I see her, the song to me, it's basically about like, Having that belief that Lucas is going to be okay Mm -hmm. in the end. Like, everyone is kind of going through that in a different way. And, you know, the episode ends when Haley, in particular, Haley is getting comfort from her best friend and everything's going to be okay. Like, it's almost like everything's going to be okay with her and Nathan. Everything's going to be okay with her and Lucas. Like, she, she gets that comfort, ultimately. Definitely. I like that first stanza that you pointed out, too. I feel like parts of the lyrics, they almost sound like they're coming from either Karen or I was thinking also Haley, too. Oh. Because Karen is extremely worried about her son, obviously, and and needs to know that everything's going to be okay in the end. And Haley, too. Like, there's obviously so much relief when Lucas wakes up from both of them, from everyone. But, like, those two kind of stand out to me a little bit more. 
than the other characters. I wonder what would happen if um, Karen sang this song instead of the sunshine song to Lucas in the hospital. I know. I feel like that would have been cute. Now I almost wish like, they would have Yeah, it would have been that. cute. <laughs> that was such a cute moment, too, where he's like, Please don't take my sunshine away. <laughs> yeah, it was adorable. <laughs> oh, Lord. Now, before we get into the storyline of this episode, last week, we forgot to talk about the fact that Dan called Lucas his son to get him into the hospital, which, how dare we? What is wrong with us? I don't know how we forgot to talk about that part. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a big moment. We just, like, completely bypassed it. Anyway, what did you think about that? It's also like a big deal because Karen learns about it in this episode anyway. So I feel like you could talk about it in either, I guess. But it's a big freaking deal that Dan actually says Lucas is his son. Because think about the whole series so far. He has been such an ass to Lucas. Like the things that he said to Lucas, basically like he wishes that Lucas didn't exist. This is a huge moment, like symbolic moment. And it makes me wonder, you know, how this could potentially change things, their dynamic. Yeah, it shows that he actually has, like, he's actually human, and he has feelings. I know. It was an emergency situation, and he had the power in that moment to get Lucas into surgery. So it does show that he has somewhat of a heart, because so far, Dan really hasn't showed any good qualities at all. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if he, like, honestly, if he just, like, you know, delivered Lucas to the hospital, be like, oh, I don't fucking know him. <laughs> just get rid of him. That'd be fucked up, but. Or if he just drove away from this, the accident scene. Like, he could have just done that, turned around, and no one would have even known that he was there. Yeah, exactly. So, that was a really good moment for him. I think it was probably, like, one of the first moments of character development that we've got of him. Yeah, so far it's just been, you know, he's really, he's pretty shallow, he's self-centered, self-involved, oh my gosh, and just plain mean. Now, um, did you watch the deleted scene for this episode? I didn't. I'm guilty. Well, damn you, Caitlin. Anyway, (laughs) so I will recap the deleted scene for you. I forgot. (laughs) So, um, in the deleted scene, Keith visits Dan at his dealership. And Keith essentially says that, like, you know, I know why you shit up for Lucas. You actually care about him. And then, like, you know, Dan's just, like, completely silent. And they decided to cut that scene out because they didn't want the... They didn't want to lend voice to the fact that Dan could be changing. Yeah. They wanted the audience to, like, slowly come to the realization themselves. And I'm glad they kept the scene out, though, because, like, it's completely unnecessary. We could totally tell that developments are happening. So they didn't need to tell us. They did more by showing us. Agreed. I don't think they needed to. I think that moment speaks for itself. Now, for the other Scott brother, Keith. In this episode, I I love how you see Karen. She actually likes Dan, at least in this moment, for, for what he did. And she's mad at Keith. It's like, how is this happening in the same episode? <laughs> I still don't understand how one drink three hours before would cause an accident. Because it is a TV show. (laughs) I mean, it was carelessness because he turned it a red arrow, but you can't blame Keith. Keith cares so much about Lucas. You can't blame him. It happened. But I get that Karen, her fear is overtaking, you know, everything that she's 
she just is taking over all emotion, this, the sense of fear. So she's not really thinking rationally. Wait, you think Karen's not thinking rationally? I get why she would be mad. I do. Keith didn't do it on purpose, and she should know that. And, you know, th- th- there's a line where um, apparently he was just shy of the legal limit. Yeah. So, like, you know, he may have had, like, a .7, like, blood alcohol level. So maybe he had more than one beer. I feel like you would have to have more than one beer to be just shy of the legal limit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I- I'm pretty sure that... Right? I don't know. I think it's dependent... I mean, it's dependent on your um, ability to, like, you know, hold your liquor and whatnot. I think just a sip could make you go over the legal limit. What? A sip? Maybe not a sip. Maybe... Mm, I don't know, actually. I have no idea. If you know, tweet us. I was <laughs> thinking, like, two. But, I mean, if it, he started drinking three hours before, that's the thing. Yeah, definitely. If you if you only had one beer, you should have been fine, but even if you had two beers, you should be fine if you're drinking them three hours before you're going on the road. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it at all. I don't get that. Um but despite all this, Keith ends up paying all of um Lucas's hospital bills. That was really something. Yeah, exactly. And um oh and let me just like give everybody a pro tip that I've read everywhere. I don't have any personal experience with this, but if you ever find yourself in a hospital and they try to give you a bill, ask them for an itemized receipt of each charge. Oh yeah? Yeah. So if you if they, if you just have them give you the regular receipt, they'll just like you know charge you for like, you know, for everything. But if you ask for an itemized receipt, they'll actually remove charges. Because they can charge you for like ridiculous shit. They can say like, oh, fifty dollars for a band-aid, like three thousand dollars for using the bed. They don't want you to like know about these certain charges. So they'll like slowly remove them. And then if you compare the the original receipts with the itemized receipt, you can like save like thousands of dollars. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Where did you learn that? <laughs> I've read that everywhere about like um just about like how to get out of scams and everything like that because I mean let's face it even though it's a legit you know hospitals are legitimate and whatnot they're still scammers because our healthcare system in America is very fucked so oh yeah it's totally <laughs> messed up or how like a ride on an ambulance can be like come on now exactly yeah. That's why I always say, like, you know, if I, you know, if, if I ever need an ambulance, please do not call an ambulance for me. Like, you know, just, you better drive me. You better call fucking Uber. Because <laughs> I don't want to pay for an ambulance. <laughs> Mental note. <laughs> call an Uber. I'll, I'll wake up from, like, a coma. I'll be like, oh, seriously? You w- call an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just, like, you know, just just keep that in mind. Ask for an itemized receipt so they don't overcharge you for a bunch of bullshit. Um, I just needed to point that out, you know, because I like to give um public service announcements on this podcast. Thank you for that, Jeremy. I appreciate it. All your fun facts and your Cracker Jack trivia. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is actually useful knowledge that you can take with you, though, for the record. <laughs> oh, also, can we talk a little bit about how Zeb brought Karen a basket with coffee and some snacks? That was so nice of her. That was so nice of her. Yeah. By the way, um, we are still looking for a ship name for Karen and Zeb. <laughs> the one I'm currently fucking with is Debro. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Deb Debro, I love that. Debro, it's Debra. like Debra, but Debro. Yeah. I was a little delayed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, it took you a while to laugh at that, but thanks. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, They're the cutest. But I was, um, 
I was just loving seeing them. I really had nothing to say. I just wanted to say, go Karen and Zeb, go Zebrell. We love you. Yes. Oh, can we talk about the engagement ring? I I know, the gauge, engagement ring just comes out of nowhere. It's like, Keith, what were you thinking? You weren't even dating yet. How does that make any sense? I know you've been pining for her for years and years and years, and finally you kissed her, but, like, that's all that happened. Nothing else happened. Exactly. That's why I'm like... I feel like back then, when I watched it, I was thinking, like, oh, they're middle-aged. Like, you know, they could die soon, so, like, you know, they could get together. And I'm like, no, they're in their mid... <laughs> What did you say? Stop! <laughs> it could die soon? Yeah, that's what I thought. That, that Now that I'm, like, older and wiser, I've realized, that, like, oh, they're in their mid-30s. They're gonna be fine. <laughs> they don't have to get married right away. Yeah, they do make the adults feel older than they actually are. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense, because they have teenage, like, they're young still. And they have teenage kids. So, like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that they do have teenage kids, and usually parents are a bit older when they have teenagers. But in this case, they were teens themselves when they had kids. So, it's interesting. <laughs> but come on, Keith, like, this is jumping the gun a little bit. Yeah, it really is. You know, it was like kind of, you know, it was kind of like a shocker when you see it. You're like, oh my God, he was going to propose, and then everything got fucked up. This is so sad. Maybe in reality, he just felt like things were going to work out and he wasn't going to propose right away, but he had it because he was just excited. I don't know. Right. Whatever. One of those things where we have to say, it's a TV show. Yeah. I know. You can only got to suspend your belief. Exactly. All right. I'm done talking about Karen and Keith. Let's talk about Karen meeting Lucas's girlfriends. Oh, boy. I really loved all these scenes that she had with both of them. I feel like Karen and Peyton, like, connected more, but Karen and Brooke were off to a little bit of a rocky start. Yeah, definitely. But I think in the end, Karen eased up to Brooke a little bit as she saw, like, how much Brooke cared for Lucas. Yeah, which I actually really liked that development, though, because it was like, um, like, Karen liked Peyton. It seemed like she liked Peyton a little bit more in the beginning, so Brooke had to, like, actually, like, you know, fight for Karen's approval. Yeah. And then she ends up getting Karen's approval in the end. And that just adds an extra layer to the whole conflict in the love triangle. It does. Because it's like, oh no, Karen actually likes Brooke. Because I feel like when the episode kicks off, you could think like, oh, Karen likes Peyton more. Oh, Peyton's got to be the one, obviously. But that's not what happens. Yeah, she even like, Karen even makes a comment to Brooke about the tattoo because she wasn't happy about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But then it kind of becomes like a light, almost a little bit more lighthearted. And she's starting, Karen starts to say like the real Brooke and her good qualities. Mm hmm. And let me just shout out like Sophia Bush's acting when she comes into the hospital and she's crying. She's like, Keith, is he okay? <laughs> and then she introduces herself to Karen. She's like, I'm Brooke, Lucas's girlfriend. Like she has like tears. Oh my God. Like her acting is phenomenal here. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I love how we're like laughing at like her crying, but you know, it's she's so good. Like, what a way to meet your significant other's mother, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> I know when he, Lucas is literally in surgery. Oh my god, it's so dramatic. Mm-hmm. And then, um, 
I really like how um, Brooke was really trying to get Karen's approval in many ways. Like, she, she even got a gift for Karen at the cafeteria. And then that's when she ends up making a joke about like, oh, like here's some chocolate you could get dip into a sugar coma. And then she's like, oh shit, that was <laughs> that was insensitive to say that. Yeah. <laughs> that was so sweet. She makes that poster. <laughs> get well poster. Yeah, where she's like in the center yeah. with like pump pumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's adorable. I don't know why. I just thought that was so funny. Oh my god. Also, let's give a little call out to the scene with between Peyton and Brooke in the bedroom. Where Brooke visits Peyton in the bedroom. And then Brooke is like, I know it's hard for you, you know, because your mom died in the hospital. And Peyton's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's why this is hard for me. I know. You feel for Peyton in that moment because while Brooke's reasoning makes sense why Peyton would be upset, there's just so much that's unspoken in this scene. Yeah, like, she's not really understanding, like, this Like this is why Peyton's actually upset, you know? And, and Peyton can't tell her, because honestly, if Peyton, like, revealed to Brooke right now... In normal circumstances, it would be a good time to maybe reveal that, but not when someone's life is on the line, and oh my god. Exactly, yeah. And it's also taken away Lucas's agency for to actually confess to Brooke as well. And oh my god, like, even the scene in the beginning of the episode... Where Peyton gets the call about Lucas being in the hospital, and then Peyton starts to pack up all of her belongings to go. And then Brooke's like, Brooke's like, wait, Peyton, what's wrong? And then Peyton's like, oh shit, I shouldn't be the one to rush to the hospital. Brooke, you should go. You're his girlfriend's. Mm, so much to unpack there. I know. It's like she almost forgets to tell Brooke. <laughs> it's kind of strange scene, in a way. Why do you think it's strange? Because she starts, yeah, you know, she's starting to pack up her stuff and leave, and like, why would she not tell Brooke immediately what's going on? I think it's just because she was in crisis mode and her first like instinct was like, I have to be there for my bo- yeah. my secret boyfriends. That she wasn't even thinking about the fact like, hey, my best friend is his girlfriends. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think she was starting to think like right here and there that she was already with Lucas and that um, Brooke and Lucas were already broken up. But of course, that's not what's happening here. I, I feel like Peyton was just like in like crisis mode here. So I get it. I understand why. And then we have the scene where Haley and Peyton are talking on the rooftop. And Peyton actually confesses to Haley that she's in love with Lucas. Mm. So that even adds more to this to the weight of this episode. What were your thoughts about that? Yeah, um, that was a great scene because I like how Peyton comes to Haley and says that, you know, you said that you were angry with Lucas and I thought you were angry with me too. And then Haley's like, no, I understand what it's like to need Lucas. And I don't know. I just thought that was a really sweet scene. And that the two of them were coming at, like, you know, their their places of inner conflict. Like, Haley just wants to tell Lucas that she loves him, even though she's so angry with him. And then Peyton just wants to say that she's in love with Lucas. And mm, there's so many feelings going on here. Yeah, and the last, so the last episode was really, like, intense. There were a lot of things, conflicts that were started or were continuing. And now we have this episode where pretty much everything, for the most part, stops because Lucas isn't, he's not even conscious. Right. So it's interesting how, like, these characters have to deal with their feelings, even though they can't really do anything with them. (laughs) Because it's all um, bound with Lucas and 
you know, all these conflicts are revolving around him. Like, Brooke and Peyton and Lucas, the whole love triangle that's going on right now. Haley and Lucas's argument that has to do with the love triangle. It's an interesting way to structure an episode of TV, I think. Yeah, I never even really thought about that. You're absolutely right. Like, and I feel like this is really related to how, like, tragedies are dealt with in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just think about it. Like, whenever somebody is in the hospital, like, everybody is involved in some way. Even tangentially, like, involved in it. Like, yeah. even though Deb isn't necessarily, like, in Lucas's life or anything like that, she's still going to the hospital to give Karen some goodies. And she's telling Karen, like, hey, I'll take care of the cafe and everything. Everybody is involved in some way, tangentially. Exactly. And then we even see the scene at the river court too, where everybody is delivering those like sweet messages and everything like that on the both on the video. And I know that was really adorable. Yeah, doing the sidewalk messages. Oh my god, I love that. And even Tim was there. Like I remember how they noticed Tim was there at one point. Yeah. <laughs> I like how Haley even calls it. Was it Haley or Peyton? I don't remember who calls it out, but they say. I think it was Haley. Yeah, and she says, like, Tim's here? Tim was such an ass to Lucas. Yep. And then we also see Jake come back, and then Jake um, comes to Peyton and he says, I know we don't really run together, but if you need someone to talk to, I'm around. And then Peyton's like, Thank you. Oh boy. I was I was into it. I'm just saying. I I really liked it. <laughs> oh, you're something. All right. Well, <laughs> all right let's talk about Haley and all of her feelings yeah that's what i was gonna say she's she's going through a lot this episode oh my gosh it starts off with Haley being upset because she found out nathan only sought out tutoring from her because he wanted to get lucas upset and riled so i mean think about it Haley. it kind of makes sense (laughs) (laughs) like i don't know how this is like yes i get why she's upset but is it really all that shocking yeah um this actually transitions very well to a listener question um this question was actually submitted for 113 but i saved it for this one valeria wants to know what did you think about Haley eventually forgiving nathan i think yeah, it was the right thing to do because it's kind of clear, don't you think? It's clear that he's changing at this point. I yeah, I completely agree too. And it's I mean, it's complicated. Like she is she's completely right to be angry because like, hey, this is how the relationship started. But obviously feelings have changed to the point where Nathan is actually to the point where Nathan actually does have legitimate feelings for Haley. Yeah. And, and I just feel like it's one of those rooms where you just have to like make room for nuance. Um, both could be true. Like Nathan started to flirt with Haley to um, get back at Lucas, but now Nathan legitimately does have feelings for Haley. Both could be true. And you can be angry about one, but still make space for the other situation. Yeah. Ultimately, I think she has a right to be upset. But at the same time, if she really thought about it, it kind of makes sense. Like, Nathan was a jerk, and now he's becoming a better person. And that's kind of clear to everyone, not just Haley. Like, I feel like Lucas has noticed it. Peyton has noticed it. He is becoming a different person. So you have to take that into account. So I'm glad he came to her in the end to, you know, confess his true feelings. And like, okay, this might have been why I originally came to you, but I'm different now. Yeah, exactly. I mean... The one that I will say is that, like, I-, I don't like how Nathan comes to Haley and says, come on, Haley, that's not fair. And then I'm like, dude, just give her a little bit of space. She can be angry right now. 
let her be angry. Yeah, that's probably not the best way that he could have approached it. Because what's really fair? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel like at the end when he actually does come to her and, and tell her, like, hey, I'm a changed man, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I feel like that was a much better response. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just saying, like, Nathan, you need to take some, like, you know, you need to take some time to step back. I get it. Um... Which, I mean, maybe I'm, like, being hard on him because I know I do this sort of thing whenever I get into fights with people. <laughs> like, I am the type of person, this is my Scorpion Moon talking, okay? <laughs> um, Whenever somebody's angry at me, I always want to be like, okay, come on, like, we, we need to, like, talk through this right now, let's talk through this, we gotta, we gotta solve it, we gotta solve it. And, like, you know, sometimes I need to, like, make room to say, like, okay, like, step back, give them some space. Let them center themselves, and then we can return to it. I feel like that's my first impulse, too, to talk it out. Ooh, do you know your moon sign? I'm Capricorn. You're Capricorn, but that's not your that's your sun, right? I don't know. What's my moon sign? Do you know your moon and your rising? Okay, we'll, we'll, do, your, we'll nope, do your chart I don't know this. all that stuff. <laughs> okay, cool. We'll do your moon and your rising after this episode. <laughs> oh, I know everybody really cares about this. <laughs> We might have a segment of our listeners who are really interested in astrology. But anyway, yeah, but you're like that too, where you just like, hey, like, let's talk through this. Oh, definitely. I want the issue resolved in or- so that I can feel better. But not every, most, well, maybe not most, but a lot of people don't function like that. They need to think, they need to process, they need space. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be, yeah, when two two different people function differently. <laughs> It's kind of hard to have an argument. <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah, it's really bad because like you're you're just saying like hey like let's just work through it like wh- why do we have to just keep being angry at each other like no like let's just talk about it like so, maybe we're bad maybe we're, maybe there's a reason why we're so if we ever get into an argument Jeremy you know exactly what's going to happen we're going to be I said if we ever get into an argument Jeremy. We're just going to be talking for hours to figure it out. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's actually going to be good for us, though, because if we ever get into, like, a serious fight, we're both going to want to talk about it right away, so we'll actually be good for each other. <laughs> that's true, but it would be a long conversation. <laughs> let's talk, Caitlin. Let's do it. Let's work through it. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm really interested in finding out your moon sign. We're totally going to figure this out after you. <laughs> and I'm not even an expert on astrology by any means, so please do not, like, you know, take my word for it. I'm an expert on my signs. I'm a Libra sun, Libra rise, and a Scorpio moon. And that's that's all I know. But I don't know anything about the other signs. Like, your Capricorn sun, I don't know anything about your Capricorn sun. Yeah. So, ugh, anyway. <laughs> we will put on the show notes what Caitlin's um, sun, moon, and rising is. <laughs> No, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Because I feel like the listeners really want to know that. All right. All right. Move on, Jeremy. Let's go. Speaking of arguments, Dan and Deb and their divorce. Yeah. Deb has hired an attorney. Shit's going down. By the way, I gotta say, I love the attorney that walks into the dealership, because she walks in, like, all sexy-like. I know. And, like, Dan's checking her out, thinking, like, ooh, I'm gonna flirt with her. And then she's like, I forget her name, what was her name? Cynthia something? I don't remember her name either. Cynthia Nixon. She's gonna be Cynthia Nixon, okay? Cynthia Nixon, (laughs) I'm your wife's attorney. And then he's like, his face just drops, and he's like, shits. 
And I love how Dan confesses to Deb that he wants to keep trying and he doesn't want a divorce and that he's going to fight it. But Deb is like, she's set in her ways too because she she's done. And she, I don't blame her at all, but they're both like on opposite ends here. Mm-hmm. Like two totally different views on this marriage, which it's a shame, but I don't blame Deb for wanting out. <laughs> yeah, I... I don't either. The the entire time, I'm just like, fuck you to Dan. Especially the scene where Dan tells her, and I'm asking you to remember when you were the one who needed forgiveness, and you were the one who almost lost this family. What is Dan talking about? I don't know. But still, regardless of what Deb did in the past, and Deb even says that was a long time ago, like, Dan is obviously still holding it over her. I know. It's like blackmail in a way. It's definitely emotional blackmail, because I'm not telling, like, you know, feelings are valid. You're allowed to, like, be angry about it. But if you're still angry about that, you need to work through it. Mm-hmm. And he obviously has not worked through it. And I'm just saying, marriage counseling would be really, really great. Oh, but look, you tried marriage counseling, and you still turned it down. You were insulting the therapist and whatnot. So I'm like, fuck you, Dan. I'm not having space for you. I know. And he was on a date, or whatever you want to call it, with another woman just in the last episode. So... Deb has so many reasons to want to divorce Dan. And he's fighting it. I really wonder why he's fighting it, because he's not happy either. Right. But Dan did not visit Lucas at the hospital either. You know, even though he, like, supposedly kind of cares and whatnot. But Nathan is a far cry from his parents, because Nathan actually did visit Lucas. And let's talk about that scene. I know. I love how Nathan did it for Haley, because she couldn't go. I like that, too. When that was revealed, I thought that was really sweet. And I think this was like the highlight to me of the whole episode because it was a moment where Nathan was real. He was speaking like how he truly felt. He almost wished that he was in Lucas's shoes so that he could get out of basketball on the pressure. That was kind of scary to me a little bit because like, I don't know, I, I sort of got like a like a suicidal ideation type of type of tone from that. Yeah, it was kind of dark yeah trying to say like uh, lucas like you know you're, you're in a much better position than i am you're getting away from all this and you know he, and at this point like he doesn't even know if like lucas will wake up so if lucas did die would nathan have been like yeah like he's in a better situation than me right now yeah that's true i never i didn't think of it like that at all huh i tend to like you know look a little bit more deeper at like lines like that sometimes or it's like hey like you know you're better off than me and i'm like wait a minute he's in a hospital bed like you know, not even, like, living life, you think that he has it better right now? Like, that's kind of, that's kind of telling about how depressed you are right now. Yeah, that makes you really feel bad for Nathan, too. Yeah. He is under so much pressure, and he can't seem to escape it, no matter what he does. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I like the fact that when Lucas did wake up, Nathan was the one who was there. I thought that was interesting that they chose that character, because Brooke was asleep, Karen was asleep, Peyton wasn't around. It was Nathan who was there. Yeah, was Brooke there? I think she was there sleeping. Oh, wow. I didn't I didn't notice Brooke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did like the part where Nathan, like, um, feeds Lucas the water, though. And he's, like, so awkward with his body language. <laughs> like, there's so much being said in that moment. He's like, uh, how do I, how do, I do this? <laughs> Water. Water. <laughs> but he, 
you know what I mean though? He's like angling his arms very awkwardly and he's like, uh, how do I how do I do this? How do I how do I feed it to him? Like, I don't know. You know? <laughs> and I wanna be Karen, but also like he and I kinda have a weird history, so how do I do this? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like an intimate thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Feeding someone or giving someone a drink like that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um and Nathan wakes up Karen, and then that's when Lucas sends the song, Please don't take my sunshine away. And Karen's like, you heard that? And then Lucas is like, I'm glad you're back, Mom. I know. It was a really sweet moment. It was just, I don't know, like, I just think the accent in this episode is so, so good. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, But then this ends up triggering Haley to return to... um to return to Lucas, and then the two of them hug each other, say that say that they love each other, blah, blah, blah. But, like, ugh, I don't know. I still feel weird about this whole dynamic, because I definitely feel like Lucas was gaslighting Haley in the previous episode, and it just seems like Haley's not allowed to, be, to still be angry. I think that there's a larger issue going on right now, and they can't really be worried about their silly argument. Because, in a way, it was a silly argument. But I feel like, you know, when he gets out of the hospital, like, we should, you know, they should return to the conversation and be like, hey, like, let's let's talk about this now that you're all better and everything. Not when you first wake up out of a coma. Like, you know, let's say, put that aside for now. But <laughs> I think it just shows at their core, they're best friends no matter what. You know, they love each other no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even this silly argument, we can figure that out later. Yeah. And even though Lucas was correct in what he was saying about Nathan... That was still only based on his instincts. He didn't know any of that. So I'm just saying it was, it, it, it's still kind of weird. Also, oh my God, wait, speaking, uh, speaking of their argument though, I got to like give this a little call out. So in the previously on, now we talked about this in, uh, in last week's episode, the scene where um, Haley slams the door on Lucas, where Lucas is like, fine. And then Haley's like, fine. <laughs> And it's like, I don't know, it's like kind of funny. <laughs> so in the previously on, where they're flashing back to that scene, they use a different clip of Bethany Joy Latin saying fine. You would notice that. <laughs> it's, no, because like, <laughs> I was paying attention to the previously on, like, Bethany Joy Latin screams at She's like, fine! Like, she's like really screaming at him. And I'm like, I don't remember it being like that in the previous episode. So I compared. Like, not only does she sound different, her head is turned in a different direction. Why would they use a different scene that's not in the episode? I, they, I don't know. Do they need to release the promos like earlier than the actual episode or something? I, I don't um, I don't know. I have no idea. But maybe I guess they wanted to like really heighten the drama for the previous lay on just to show like, hey, they're they're really in a fight. They really hate each other. Because in last week it was like a little bit more subtle. Like Haley was just like, fine. <laughs> but in the previous lay on, she's like, fine. <laughs> That was just, th that was funny to me, though. I'm like, I know, I, I noticed the most obscure shit, I know. You really do. But when you call it out, you gotta call it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was not one of my favorite moments in the episode, though. But would you say this is the time where we can transition to our favorite quote, musical moment, and Raiden? Yes. Cool. What was your favorite quote, Jeremy? I want to give an honorable mention, so when Karen says... It was only six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about all the bullshit that has happened since she left. It's like... I know, right? Lucas has a tattoo. Deb and Karen... Deb and, I almost said Deb and Karen are getting a divorce. Wow. <laughs> I don't want Deb and Karen to get a divorce. 
ever. Um, Zeb and Zan are getting a divorce. <laughs> um, Lucas has a girlfriend. It's like Karen's just like coming back, and she's like, "What the fuck?" He has a girlfriend and a lover. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Yeah. So I want to give an honorable mention to that. And my actual favorite quote though is I like um Brooks um whole conversation with Karen, but I like the particular line when she says, and just so you know. The only thing I really wanted to see is Lucas laugh again. You know, hear him sing off key and watch him roll his eyes at me when I steal french fries off his plate. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm crazy about your son and I hope that's enough for you. And she's saying that with like tears in her eyes and then and then Karen's like, that that is enough. <laughs> that is a sweet moment. I just loved it. And that really shows, yeah, how Karen starts to warm up to Brooke. Because Brooke's mm-hmm. really sincere. Yeah, definitely. And it just and it just adds like an extra layer of sadness to this love triangle because mm-hmm. the fact like, oh, she is throwing so much emotion into Lucas and like arguably I would say Lucas really doesn't give a shit about her. I know. And it's really sad to me. Mm. You're you're right. He really doesn't care that much. It's a shame. Oh gosh. We'll get into that more next time. But I know. So my favorite quote was actually a scene that we didn't talk about. But Whitey came to visit Karen at the hospital. Oh, do tell. And I like that he just he kind of put things into perspective a little bit about the whole Keith drinking before the accident because Karen was really upset about that. And Whitey says to Karen. No man ever loved a boy more than Keith loves Lucas. Aw. I don't know. I just thought it was another, it's another good Whitey quote. Because he always seems to say the right thing at the right time. And he has an uncanny way of doing that, so. And as I said in the previous episode, Barry Corbin needs to get more work. I know. I I really love his scenes. And he, he always, he speaks the truth. Definitely. What was your favorite musical moments? Let me guess, um, <laughs> I was about to name a random song, but, like, I don't even know if there are other songs in this episode. I know there are, <laughs> but I don't remember any of the other ones. So I think you and I have the same answer. The most notable song is I Shall Believe by Sheryl Crow, and yes. which is the title song of the whole episode as well. I, and I'm going to get into this more later, too, but I love this song. I absolutely love this song. Tell us, why does it resonate with you so much? Oh my god, I feel like I can really only get into it in the spoiler section. Really? But, um, I don't know. There's something so beautiful about this song. It's, like, comforting. I don't know. I'm, it's, it's one of my top favorite One Tree Hill songs, I have to say. It was on one of my mixtape original mixtapes <laughs> that I made when I was a teenager. And What is a mixtape? <laughs> Didn't we go over that before, Jeremy? I feel like we have, but, you know, whatever. And by mixtape, Caitlin actually means like a CD, not like an actual cassette tape. We're not that yeah. old. Yeah, we're not For the record. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was on one of my mixtapes because I just, I, I love it so much. I love the song itself, but I also love the moment in this episode because it's the final song. It's the coda. And we always love the codas. Mm-hmm. Because there was a montage of scenes and Lucas wakes up when the song starts to play. And then there's that scene with Nathan and Haley where he's confessing, you know, his feelings for Haley. And you see Keith with the ring. You see Peyton drawing the art on the river court to add to like well wishes and everything. Um, Karen goes to hug Dan. That's a big moment. Haley sees 
Lucas at the hospital and, you know, breaks down because she's so relieved that he's okay. And then you also see Karen break down at home. So like, oh my gosh, there's just so many things that you see over the course of the song. And it just comes back once again to like this belief that things are going to be okay. And they they are okay, but they're also like so emotional, like Haley and Karen, they're breaking down at the end. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, I think it's a pivotal song in this episode. It ties everything together. It brings hope, I think. But there is a sadness to the song as well. I don't know. It's really complex to me. <laughs> I just went off on a mini tangent. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I'm, I'm totally into the mini tangent. I'm into it. <laughs> what about you? I completely agree with everything you just said. So honestly, I'm like, let's just move on. But um, to bring attention a little bit to the scene where Karen breaks down in the in the kitchen, like I really like that scene going along with the song too, because like you know, it's supposed to be like this big happy moment, like welcome home, Karen. And then she goes back from Italy, and all this bullshit is happening. So like, she just breaks down. She's like, oh my god. She's just like, fuck me. It was only six weeks. Yep. And then I feel like also in that moment, she's she's relieved that Lucas is okay, but she's also realizing, like like you said, all that has happened since she's been back for like, what has she been back a day, maybe? Two day- How many days was Lucas in a coma? It's kind of unclear. There's one part I know where Brooke says, like, um, tells Peyton that, like, you've been saying that for the last two days about coming to the hospital, so. Yeah. It's at least two days or more. Okay. But we don't know the exact timeline. By any means. Mm-hmm. Wild. What about your rating? I don't know why I don't want to give this a five out of five. I don't know. For some reason, there's just something missing in this episode for me. But I'm giving it four out of five heartfelt chalk messages. Aw, that's sweet. I don't know. Like, the, the, episode's, the episode's fine. It's just, I don't know. There's just something, like, missing. Like, there's some sort of umph that's missing for me. And I don't and I don't know what it is. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's just the fact that, like... You know, there's no way we could believe that Lucas wasn't going to wake up. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why. Like, I'm like, they're not going to kill off the star of their show 13 episodes in. Like, I don't know. With all these unresolved storylines, there's no way they were going to make that happen. I know. So maybe that was why. I just didn't think the stakes were high enough. So I feel like that's why it doesn't get a five out of five for me. But the things I loved, I love the acting performances. Like, I love seeing Sophia Bush cry. I know that sounds like really weird. But she's a pretty crier. She she's such a she's such a good crier. Like I don't know. Like I I'm always like a sucker for actors who can cry like very well. And I'm like that's all I can know. That's a good actor. That's a good actor. That person knows how to cry. And so yeah. I just love seeing Sophia Bush. What about you? What's your rating? So I think you liked the episode a bit more than I did. Ooh. But I know you didn't like you didn't like the last episode, and I personally think the last episode is one of the better ones in season one. <laughs> really? I feel like it was so action-packed in the previous episode that then we, we get to this one. And like you said, the stakes really weren't high enough. And also I've seen this so many times, so I don't know if that's kind of clouding my rating a little bit. It's <laughs> like knowing that Lucas is going to survive, he's going to wake up by the end. Like it's not so exciting. Yeah. But also like how could they realistically kill off one of the main stars of the show. Exactly. Let me ask you this, though. Did you think that Lucas was in a coma for longer than this? It's been a while since I've watched this, but I definitely thought he was in a coma for, like, at least two or three episodes. No, I didn't. I always knew it was one episode. Oh, okay. Well, 
Yeah. It's been too long, obviously. I'm like, I'm like, wait, he, w- he wakes up at the very end? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I always remembered that part. So, huh. overall, I feel like it ties things up a bit, but the episode, I feel like, was a little boring at parts to me. Personally. So I'm giving it a three out of five get well posters. Aw. With Brooke Davis in the center waving pom poms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's so cute. So it it was decent, but I, I feel like following up from the previous one, which I really liked, it was a little little more boring to me. But there were definitely good moments. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I think the episode was boring, so but like I don't I don't know, like <laughs> Whenever I see somebody cry in an episode, I always like up the score a little bit. So you can always <laughs> expect when there's when there's a cry and scene and the acting is good, I'm I'm gonna raise the the rating a little bit. <laughs> uh, that's so, hilarious. So now you know like what um what my bias is. <laughs> Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHpod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHpod at gmail.com. That's always O-T-H-P-O-D. You can follow Jeremy Rodriguez on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. You can follow Kaylin Illinich on Twitter at MissIReads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing you. Woo! Spoilers! (laughs) So, I... We're not even going to tell people to turn the podcast off. We're literally just going to be like, spoilers. I'm, I'm into it. Let's do Oh, yeah. Oops, I, for- I forgot. <laughs> don't read it. Don't read it. Let's just keep going. We're going to go with this. So, no, in case you don't know, if this is your first episode. If you if this is your first spoilers. episode listening, turn your podcast off now because we're going to spoil the shit out of the series. This is your final warning. If you Go. do not want, I can't even speak. If you do not want spoilers, turn off now. <laughs> now we sound like ridiculous. <laughs> okay, that was your final warning. So I shall believe. I think of this song. And this is kind of funny because this I put this song on my one of my mixtapes years ago because I loved it when I heard it when Haley's mom it's the episode in which she dies but it plays at the very end during the funeral and I always loved it I just thought it was a pretty song and it, it just really worked with the moment because once again the characters were trying to believe that everything was going to be okay even though Haley's mom passed. So I loved it because it was in that episode in season seven. And then when I did a rewatch after watching season seven, at some point, I can't remember when, I realized that it also played in season one. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea that it ever played in season one. <laughs> yeah, I had to re because you were the one who put that in, uh, in the script for this week. Um, I had to go back and like watch that scene. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, Caitlin, how dare you have me watch that scene? That's, like, heart-wrenching. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. That episode is rough. Rough. And then it sets up Haley's depression and, uh 
But I could not talk about I Shall Believe without referencing season seven. Because that's how I originally found that song. and never even realized that it was in season one until a rewatch. So that was really cool. Wow. It's so funny how One Tree Hill does that, though. Like, they will... We've said this before, but they reuse songs. And it makes you wonder why they choose to include that song. Like, they probably could they probably could have chosen other songs for that moment other than I Shall Believe. But it, it's like a nod to, like, tragedy in a way. Or a nod to just, like, people getting together. Because, I mean, think about it, like, in season seven, that's the funeral, everybody's getting together to mourn. Yeah. Um, even that whole set of scenes, actually, that's when Lauren and Mouth are starting to hook up. Then Skills comes back in the town. Um, a couple of other things happen. Um, Clay and Quinn had something going on. I have no idea what. And then there's Alex and that other guy, and they try to make a sex tape. I'm forgetting his name right now. But yeah, it's like, it's all about just like her, like everybody getting together. That's a good point. So I feel like there are like a lot of similarities between these two montages, actually. Like, more than we realize, I think. There's a lot of similarities. Yeah, I think it's a it's a choice that they made, you know? Yeah. To replay that song. It's funny about One Tree Hill, though, because it never feels repetitive when they do this, though. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's just like, nope, this is, this is fine. <laughs> Season one and seven is so far apart that people probably wouldn't even remember the song played unless they, you know, are super fans. Yeah, but they'll even use, like, the same songs for, you know, like, um, I-, I said this earlier, there's an episode that's used in season one, episode four, that comes back in season two, episode one. Okay. There's a few songs in season one that have already replayed. Yeah. And it just seems like this is fine. Like, you never mm-hmm. question it, really. Agreed. And when I s- saw Peyton at the very end of the episode drawing... The art with the three in the center on the river court. I immediately thought of season five when she... There might have been even other scenes or seasons where she drew on the river court. But obviously season five is the one that I remember when she um, writes the lyrics to Love Song by The Cure. Oh, I don't remember that. That's her confession that she loves him. Remember he's with Lindsay or... I can't exactly remember if he was still with Lindsay. I think he was. But... Yeah, she writes this message on the river court of a, basically a love letter. You don't remember that? Not at all, honestly. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Get out of town. So I'm like, I literally listen to you. I'm like, uh-huh, I'm taking your word for it. I don't remember that at all. I'll be surprised when I get there. Season five is probably my second least favorite season really i love season five it's one of my favorites the beginning of season five i think is great and then the that's when the writer's strike happens yeah and then after the writer's strike happened i think the show really suffered personally there's like a tonal shift i personally i love season five season six i thought was a, one of my least favorite probably six and eight are my least favorite seasons eight is my definitely my least favorite i can tell you that much or seven, six, six, seven, and eight. Six, seven, and eight as a whole, really. I like season seven, actually, surprisingly. Least favorite is eight. After that, five and six are kind of tied, I'd say. Um, I don't know where it would go from there, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Should we rank our seasons right now? I mean, let's see. Hmm. Well, my favorite <laughs> season is season three. Agreed. Then probably... I like season five a lot, but I like three, four, and five. They're like the best. But two's really good too. Nine's really interesting. 
Oh, it's too tough, Jeremy. <laughs> I feel like I have to rewatch it all to to know. Well, good then we have a whole podcast. <laughs> I have to think about my rating. If, if I'm going to be put on pressure now, I'm going to say it's three, two, four, one, five. No, three, two, four, one, seven, five, six, nine, eight. No, I think nine comes before six for me. I don't know. These ratings may change. Okay, I think I have it. Three, five, four, two, nine, one, six, seven, eight. Ooh. But that could change. <laughs> that's, okay. that's a really quick rating. Caitlin actually wrote it down while I was talking. Yeah. <laughs> she literally held up a piece of paper. I, I just had to like visualize I to it out. to make sure I had every number. <laughs> I don't have paper and pen in front of me right now, so... I'm just going to go with whatever I just said. That's going to be the score I'm going with. That's going to be my ride, kid. All right. (laughs) Well, it's going to last forever on the audio. Oh, yeah. I guess I can't go back. No, we can adjust. We can adjust. You know what? Just like how Nathan's feelings toward Haley change, my feelings toward the show can change. Yes. Anyway, so I saw you put a note here about Lucas's near-death experiences. What did you want to talk about with that one? So, I mean, he has obviously his near-death experience. First one is the season. Then he gets diagnosed with HCM and has issues with that, which is pretty serious. And then in season four, he collapses. Haley's like run over by a car and then Lucas collapses. (laughs) That episode's wild. That is such a wild episode. And then he's in the hospital. I can't remember exactly how long he's in the hospital. It's just one episode, just like this one. He's basically in a coma yet again. <laughs> Does he have any other near-death experiences? Those are the only ones I know of, honestly. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I thought about it like, Jesus, two times he's in a coma? Two times? That's a lot of times to be in a coma. Yeah. Maybe this is why Lucas and Peyton are perfect for each other. Like, Lucas goes through all these near-death experiences and Peyton goes through mental trauma. Yeah, she does. And near-death experiences. She she has a few near-death experiences herself. She has a lot of really wild storylines, which we will get into. <laughs> Holy moly. Stalkers and everything like that. And then she's just supposed to push this trauma aside. Like, ugh. Yeah, and then she almost dies having a baby in season six. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. See <laughs> so, yeah. How did I almost forget about that one? There's, they all, all the main characters almost die. We have Lucas twice. We have Peyton, which I just said. We have Brooke in the car with Jamie in season eight. We have uh, Nathan. He was in the car accident in season three after the wedding. He jumps in and almost dies. He also got kidnapped. What else am I missing? Oh, Haley. Does Haley ever have? Oh, yeah. She gets run over by a car. Yeah, we just said that. (laughs) But she, oh my gosh. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Our life is pretty boring in comparison. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, this is insane. Oh my god. I was about to say, like, we're... I just turned 30, you're turning 30 next month, and... Crazy. Our lives have just not had this much excitement. (laughs) Thank god. (laughs) (laughs) I know, oh my god. That seems wild to me, oh boy. But anyway, so who knows? Like maybe our thirties will be the time for all of this to happen. Who knows? I I gosh, Jeremy, I hope not. <laughs> what do you 
are you trying to jinx us? I don't even know why I like, put that out into the universe. I, I should not put that out in the universe. I take it back. Take it back, please. I'm taking it back. <laughs> <sighs> oh my god. Well, anyway, maybe like in our thirties, we can say that suddenly everything has changed. <laughs> You're so clever. I wasn't even planning that transition. It like literally naturally came up. And that was like probably the best and smoothest. I was trying to think of one because it's a pretty good title. <laughs> <laughs> so um, next week, which will be our last episode before the holidays, we will be discussing season one, episode 15, Suddenly Everything Has Changed. According to our One Tree Hill DVD box sets, Recuperating at home, Lucas finally breaks up with Brooke, but doesn't tell her he loves Peyton. Brooke finds out on her own. Also on the rocks, the garage, when Keith has trouble covering Lucas's hospital bills. We'll be seeing ya.